0: To each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You
1: know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I'm sitting down with Bruce and Rhonda Prothro of Prothrow Family Winery in Napa Valley. They started in their garage, but today Bruce and Rhonda sourced their fruit from some amazing vineyards, including Stagecoach, plus have had some pretty incredible mentors along the way. We talk about what it takes to make a well-balanced wine, and of course we chatted all about Cab Franc. While you are listening, please take a moment to rate and review Exploring the Wine Glass. Ratings are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible. Taking one minute of your time is the only way the logarithms will suggest pouring the wine glass to others. Slancha. I
2: want the nice glass
1: right now. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, sommelier Service, Champagne Specialist, and WSET Level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. I am your host, Lori, and today I'm going a little up north and we are talking Cab Franc. And everybody knows how much I love Cab Franc. So we have we have Bruce and Rhonda Prothro of Prothrow Vineyard Family Vineyards. Did I pronounce the name correctly? That's the first question.
2: Surprisingly, so most people don't, but you did, uh, and it's it's Prothrow Family Wines.
1: Okay. So. Oh, that note, I, I shoved the vineyard in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brother of Family Wines. So, welcome, welcome. So, I have to start off before we really, really get into the interview. I have to start off with as soon as I went to your website, I started laughing because the very first thing I saw was that Bruce was a chemist and fell in love with wine, and Rhonda had to listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> <Pretty> and, <much. laughs> And I just thought that was hysterical. So I get the science thing. My husband is a is a food chemist. I'm a microbiologist. We actually often joke like when we're out to dinner, we're having a conversation that is chemistry oriented. And we joke somebody at the next table must think we're like lunatics or, you know, what are we really, really talking about or whatever. But I also get the yes, dear. Yes, dear. But Bruce, you brought her along. You, she came around strong with loving the wine, huh? It well,
2: ah. it's persistence. It's repetition, right? If you start talking about something and keep talking about something, they eventually come around.
1: They break a day. They break down. But actually, eventually. no, that's not. That,
2: that's, <laughs> that's not the story. Rhonda's much better at telling it than I am. Um, our second date was in. No, our first date. Our first date oh, was first in date Napa.
1: Was in oh, Napa. you went wine tasting on the first date, huh?
2: Wine tasting on the first date. It was um, a
0: very long time ago.
2: <laughs> that was 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and the really cool thing about it, you know, we went up to Napa. Rhonda lived in Moran and I lived down in San Jose at the time. And I picked her up in Moran and we went up there. I think our first stop was Trefethan.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Uh, and we had, a, we had a pretty full day. I uh, ended up having dinner up there in Yountville at a place that, that doesn't exist anymore, but it was Mama Nina's. Uh, great, just you know, down home Italian food, um, and and we hit we hit a lot of places um, and had a lot of conversations. Rhonda interviewed me at Pine Ridge.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: uh, I was worthy <laughs> worthy of of continuing dating,
0: um,
2: uh, and we had our first kiss at Vista Tui, uh-huh. uh, and um, you know we like to say that was back in the day when you could just walk into a tasting room. Mm-hmm. Um, and and taste you didn't have to make appointments you didn't have to pay 55 to 80 dollars to taste something uh people were friendly they were receptive it wasn't
0: an ordeal and the the only place that you had to pay was at silver oak and it was five dollars and it was only because you got the glass (laughs) i remember that
1: five (laughs) dollars right and you got the glass
2: and it's Amazing. funny, we were at Silver Oak and and just tasting there, and we ended up going into the back room and having a little barrel sample and little tour, and then they they thought we were already married, even though it was our first date. And,
1: wow. You know,
2: it was an interesting time.
1: <laughs> um, it was met right from the start.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, our relationship started, you know, in Napa, and um, it was a couple years later. Uh, you, I mean, you, you know this. I mean, it's... As a scientist, it's easy to to pick up a glass of wine and say, oh, I smell this, I smell this, I smell all of these other things, I get these secondary and tertiary, and and, and that's fine. I mean, that's fine. Uh, That drives a lot of of wine discussions and a lot of, you know, the sensory sort of of perceptions of wine, but as as someone with a scientific background, you go, okay, that's great, but
1: why? Right.
2: what's happening that has created that. And, and, and you want to know from beginning to end, much like any design of experiment, what creates that, that sense you know, the, the sense, sensation sense, <laughs> sense of, 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 of response you're getting in the glass, not only on the palate but in the aromatics. And how does that change over time? And yeah, you can explain it on a chemical basis, um, but no, microbiologists or no chemist um, uh, is worth their weight if they just do everything on the on, on the blackboard.
1: Okay.
2: You have to get in, you have to experiment, you have to, you know, you have to put on the, the lab smock and the safety glasses and you have to start playing with Bunsen burners and distillers and, you know, and everything
1: Ah, and, the days of Bunsen burners.
2: <laughs> and, and that's what we decided to do. Um, Rhonda likes to say if she was going to, uh, have me be quiet, uh, the best thing to do was to have me make wine and stop talking about
1: it. Oh, okay. I thought you, I thought you were going to say put a wine glass in my hand so I'm drinking it, but. <laughs> no,
0: I knew that he was never going to be happy until he actually could make wine. and um, it was one of those things that he talked an awful lot about. And so, um, we decided to be home winemakers and experiment. And it was, again, a long time ago. And back in the day where there was not an internet, um, Napa was very small. A lot of the wine, the wineries had winemakers who started out as home winemakers. Mm -hmm. And so they always kind of had a soft spot in their hearts for other home winemakers. And so um, we sourced grapes all over Napa and Sonoma and
2: Fair play, Fair play Frigals,
0: so. all sorts of places. And it really started by Bruce just making phone calls to, um, to vineyard owners and pretty much talking our way into harvesting <laughs> grapes. And then it ended up that one vineyard owner would tell another vineyard owner, and then Bruce would start getting calls um, saying, hey, we, we're getting ready to harvest or this big winery is getting ready to harvest and we have one little row and if you want it, you can come the day before and take it.
1: Yeah.
0: And so that's basically how it started. And so we did not have a truck at the time or any equipment. And so we borrowed it. We borrowed our neighbor's truck. We would drive to the vineyard. We would harvest it ourselves, harvest all the grapes ourselves. And then we, um, we would do on onsite um, Crushing and just simming. And then we would put all of the juice and the skins in big food grade um, garbage cans cans, and we would pick them up and put them in the back of the truck and drive them home to Los Gatos where we lived at the time and um, made wine in our garage.
1: As you know, I, it's funny because I, I, I can envision picking, I can envision this, our first vintage or wasn't official vintage, but our first hobby vintage or whatever was all by hand. And, and even the bottling or the corking, you know, the, the bottling were those like the I call them nipples. I don't know what they're really called, but they you know, like uh-huh. you do that, and then uh-huh. corking, and the corking. Oh my gosh, to put that cork in there, and I remember, uh-huh. right? It's like,
0: oh, your arms, your shoulders, are and your finger and, gets all yeah. like all of red. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. Everything by hand. Everything right. by hand. even do a label, right? We like right. hand
1: Oh um, wow, it's like naked bottles, naked. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And we just, so we just did it for, um, for home consumption and friends and family. But what happened is, um, every time we would have a party, we would bring our wine out and Bruce would always think that we needed to buy wine too, because he always felt a little uncomfortable about serving people only our wine. And then people would come over and start drinking wine and inevitably our wine would be gone first. Right. And <laughs> just would still be sitting there because people really really liked our wine and started asking for it and so we gave it away for like birthdays eight, and eight christmas and we just we gave it all away and, and we did make wine like that for seven vintages
2: eight from 91 today. through ninety
0: eight. okay and we stopped when we had kids and we just we just couldn't do it anymore <laughs> kids um we, took, we it was time for a hiatus
2: But it was, it was a lot of work and it was a lot of fun. And, and, um, and, you know, once again, going back to, you know, kind of our shared lab uh, sort of of experience, um, you know, you learn the most by doing, Um, you know, you read the textbook, you can watch other people do the experiments, but, but being that hands-on and making all of the decisions along the way, um, you know, having to, to do all of your, your racking by hand, having to clean all of your barrels yourself. And, you know, we didn't make a small quantity of wine. We made a large quantity of wine in the garage and our garage is full of wine barrels and fermentation vats and carboys. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun doing it all by hand. And, and, and the really cool thing about it, Rhonda, Rhonda hit on this is that it was it was you know back in the day when a lot of people um had started off as home winemakers and and we got a lot of help you know so we're self-taught um back in the day you could be self-taught and that had a certain amount of respect now you know you need to say you come from uc davis and yada 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 and people respect that um but we're self-taught but we're self-taught by being guided by some of the icons of the industry back
1: um, I was got, gonna say that I saw I saw I mean y- your your friends list is pretty darn impressive. I yeah, and we
2: got a lot of help from David Bruce. So if you go back to the '76 Paris tasting, he had a Chardonnay that was entered, and that it, it finished last, uh, but it finished last out of some pretty remarkable wines. So uh, we got help from them. Uh, we got help from Dexter and Val Algren. And most people won't know. Go, go to Ashes and Diamonds sometimes and, and look at the Algren bottles they have on the shelves, because okay. Algren sourced from Bates Ranch and Ashes and Diamonds now makes a Bates Ranch cow from the Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, Parker called their calves the most underrated calves in the state of California.
1: Wow. Um,
2: exceptionally long lived and very nuanced and elegant. Um, they helped us a lot. They started off as beer makers, turned into wine makers. Um, uh, Ken Burnout, who started Santa Cruz Mountain Vineyards, uh, he taught us the whole secret to you know small lot fermentation because it's really hard to hold you know that exothermic temperature generation right. on small lots versus large lots. So he you know gave us the trick.
0: And the trick was you haul moving blankets that you wrap oh, around.
1: A little, a little insulation.
0: On. That was it. <laughs> Yeah, and, something so we,
1: simple, but you wouldn't really uh, think about it. You know,
2: we got a lot of help from um, Kent Rosenblum and Jeff Cohn. Um, and unfortunately, Kent passed away, uh, and Jeff is still very active, making you with some exceptional wines. Um, and and probably the most notable help we got was from Bert Williams. Um, uh, William William yeah. And Rhonda does a great job telling that story.
0: <laughs> well, he didn't have a tasting room. And he made Pinots. And
2: everything was sold primarily mailing list.
0: Yes. And like really high-end, beautiful wine, a lot from the Russian River. And we were making Russian River Pinot. And we were having difficulty with our fermentation. Getting.
2: Just, just, just getting just it right. Just getting
0: it right. And so we knew he made really great Pinot from Russian River. And so we scheduled an appointment. And we show up. And he is, he is a salty old character and was not at all happy to see us. In self-taught, fact he had self-taught some had yeah, been a
2: pressman with the chronicle with the yeah, San, Francisco. Yeah. San Francisco
0: Chronicle bought the property and um started making wine with a friend who was also a pressman at the chronicle. He had some choice words for us when we showed up and um pretty much said why are the hell are you here? I don't I don't taste wine. I'm not sure why you were here. <laughs> and, um, and I looked at him and I'm like, well, we are home winemakers and we're making Pinot from Russian river and everyone tells us you're the one to talk to. And as soon as I said that, he said, well, why didn't you tell me, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, <laughs> phew, phew. <laughs> we spent like three hours with him. barrel wow. Wow. I mean, he, we, yes, yeah, so we went, um, he would take out the bun and dropper and we barrel tasted with him. For hours, for, for hours, getting pointers,
2: getting tips. He was
0: tell, um, hearing his stories. He was, he was funny. And then at the very end, we were talking about the yeast um, that we were using, and having, having, you know, just not. It wasn't quite right.
2: I was trying to use Alsmannhausen, and Alsmannhausen produces a kind of slow, delicate, you know, mm-hmm. kind of patient that doesn't really get going, and so you're not mm-hmm. driving a lot of extraction. And so
0: he takes out a piece of paper and writes on it and hands it to us. And he said, go to the wine lab and, and talk to this person and tell him that I sent you to purchase my proprietary yeast for your Pinot. Wow. Access to his proprietary yeast and said, if there are any issues, have him call me. We're like, okay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That was a pretty cool
1: story. That that's impressive. That's amazing. I I do think that the majority of wine people look out for other wine people. The majority, right. the majority of other the majority of wine people look out for wine people, and the people who have come through the ranks versus those who have. So much money, don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to start a winery. wineries, Um, as we like to call them.
0: It's a
1: little, it's a little different. It's a little different, different. you know. Um, But that, that is that's incredible. And I'm, I'm assuming you are just keeping that household, that house proprietary yeast and keep going every vintage. (laughs) Well, I, I, I,
2: we don't make Pinot anymore.
1: Oh no, Pinot. Okay.
2: No no Pinot. So what else?
1: OK, so actually, I was going to ask you that because the first when you were doing your your home making stuff, you did uh, Pinot, Zin, and Chard, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Those were, so we were that,
1: Later. did you um, did, did you get did you choose those varieties and then hunt down the vineyards that had them or were those the varieties that you could get your hands on back then?
2: So, so when I was chomping at the bit to make wine, uh, Rhonda and I um, went up to Russian River, uh, just down the street from um, uh, from uh, Deloche. Deloche. Back when okay. uh, Cecil owned Deloche, Cecil, and Cecil was great. And, and back then, Deloche was you know a premium wine brand making you know some really nice Russian River wines. And we stayed at a bed and breakfast just around the corner from there, and it was owned by the Lindys. And the Lindys provided Chardonnay, Pinot, and and Zinfandel to um, to Deloach, and, and Bob was also a home winemaker and had a nice little winemaking facility attached to his bed and breakfast. So, you know, over the course of the weekend, we spent a lot of time talking to Bob and Denise about it, and, and you know, he kind of showed me his setup and what he had, and um, and and then said, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'll sell you grapes, you know, um, you know, come and buy some grapes, show up before Cecil harvests, and uh, you can have Pinot and Chardonnay and Zen. And so that's how we got our first okay. vintage going was getting it from the Lindy vintage.
0: And we uh, actually Vindy. borrowed his equipment,
2: borrowed his equipment. He later sold this French, uh, hand crank crusher to simmer to us, An Italian crusher to simmer. That mm-hmm. was really, really nice, which we used all throughout our home winemaking days. Uh, and then I sold it to another home winemaker. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, we got our start, you know, sourcing from there and, and it's, it's really an interesting story. So we, we, I, I did Chardonnay. I did a barrel from a Chardonnay, but an American oak barrel because I wanted to, to kind of follow the style that ZD was doing. I really liked oh, okay. ZD at that time. So we used American oak and that's a little bit different than using French oak. Um, and we made sure that we used air dried American oak versus kiln dried so we wouldn't get the greeniness that you get sometimes from American oak. And and it produced a nice Chardonnay, but I, I wasn't pleased with it. It's It's, you know, it's, it's, Much like being a parent, you know, you look at your kid and you see everything your kid can do better, whereas everyone else is telling your kid's a great kid. And you're you're like, but, 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 you know, they can do this better. And, you know, same thing with being a winemaker. You you know, you're satisfied with your wines, but you know you could have perhaps done things a little bit differently during the process. Uh, So that's how I felt about the Chardonnay. The Pinot, um, I actually put it into a a reconditioned barrel that was infected um and so we had to dump it and 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 um unfortunately it took me two vintages to find out that it wasn't me as a winemaker it was the infected um it was a you know wonderful french oak barrel (laughs) (laughs) you know if if you can afford not to buy a used barrel um you
0: know that's
2: the risk you run if you do buy a used barrel it's always better to get new um and then um Interesting story about the Zinfandel. So it was a late harvest in Russian River in 91. I think we picked right before Halloween. And yeah. and, and the bricks were between 21 and a half and 22 and a half. And we really wanted it to be around 23 and a half to 24. And that was back in the day when you typically picked around 23 and a half. 24 was considered kind of the max. And it made, you know, more of a claret style Zin. And um, so we didn't get the sugar levels we wanted. And when we, uh, we brought it back, I inoculated with Alsomethousing and realized uh, that I didn't get you know, a nice, a nice, you know, hearty sort of exothermic reaction going on with you know a heat-driven process. Alsomethousing is a lot more you know gentle. So I made this really nice Pinot-looking Zinfandel with you know, nice Russian River acidity, wonderful floral fruit on it, um, uh, but it wasn't you know a big hearty Zin. And, and I was a little embarrassed about it. It drank nicely. It tasted wonderfully. I mean, wonderful. And, and you know that's one of the ones that we'd serve at parties. Well, fast forward 30 years. So, so January of 2021, I get um, an email from a guy that I haven't talked to in 20 years, 25 years. And, and he was a home winemaker kind of in the same area. And we used to exchange notes and everything. He had a massive cellar. And once a year, he in the first week in, uh, in December, he would open his cellar and do a varietal tasting. So all of those iconic Zinfandels from like 68 to 85, you got the taste. There were 40 of them. That was one year. The next year, he did all those iconic calves from 68 to 85, including wow. the wonderful stag leek. And the early Diamond Creek cabs—it was—it was just wonderful tasting. But anyway, I had brought him a bottle at one of the tastings, and we had handwritten on the label. So thirty, you know, in in 2021, I get this email from him saying, "Hey, Sandy and I were going through the cellar, and we found the bottle that you brought us of your 1991 Zinfandel." And we said, "Well, let's open this and see what it's like." And so they cored in the first half of it. And they had it that night, and they're like, oh my gosh, this Zen's 30 years old, but it's beautiful. Wow. Absolutely. And so they put you know that away. And then the next night had the, the remaining half. And he said that the, the second night, that bottle was even, you know, better. better. He said it was absolutely spectacular. But you look at it, you know, we had you know a little bit higher acidity. We we it wasn't overly alcoholed. Um, you know, not like today. And and we were judicious on the oak that we used on it. Um, And it just kind of, you know, speaks to trying, trying to make a wine more imbalanced than trying to make a wine that's overly extracted or overly oaked. And you find that those wines, particularly, you know, you see it in, in the old world, those wines that are really made in that very balanced style tend to age really, really well. So it was nice to get that report card back on a wine that I made a lot of mistakes on. And to find Uh, out 30 years later, it was still holding up and drinking beautifully.
1: And you don't have any left. Nope.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not a single bottle.
1: So how, so for, so let's just skip ahead a little bit. So that was when you first started, you were in the garage, then you said that you had children and so you took a hiatus cause you know, children are so easy and take up zero time. Um, so when, <laughs> when, when, what was the time difference? When did you say, okay, kids, you are good on your own. I'm ready to go back to wine.
2: Uh, 98 to
0: 2016. Okay. All right. And so, so we moved to Austin, Texas in 2011. Oh, okay. And we, um, five, five years ago, five and a half years ago, we moved houses and Bruce um, retired from his corporate job where he was traveling a lot, most of the time, actually. Our son was in college and our daughter was a junior in high school. So we moved homes and we were unpacking and we were in our family room and we came across a shoebox of old photos. So we sat down on the couch and started looking through these old photos. And we found the photos of us when we were home winemakers all those years ago. And we were much younger. He had hair. He had hair. <laughs> <laughs> and um I had my mama jeans, which are now again popular. So it <laughs> looks like nothing's really changed. And we sat down and we looked at those photos and we were like, we kind of want to reacquaint ourselves with those people. And so it just felt like it was a really good time for us to start talking and dreaming and thinking about what it would mean to make wine again. And this time we thought we would do it on a commercial basis. And so we were we were contemplating thinking about it, and we were in New York. Um, first time that he had ever been there, and we were at the Met, and he got a call from his old work, um, asking about where he wanted a check to be sent, which was some incentive check compensation that he didn't know about. And those so are always good <laughs> for him, and I found him, and he told me about this. He's like, "What do you want to do with this?" And then I had the brilliant idea: Why don't we use that for our seed money to restart making wine? And so that's what we did. And for us, it was um, it was kind of a journey. It was kind of a rediscovery. And quite frankly, it was a way for us to get reconnected um, with each other um, at this new and different time of our life. Okay. And, and so I what get
2: what we decided to do was we, we didn't want to be landowners. We didn't want to be right. farmers. Um, and, uh, we didn't want the capital expense of starting uh, a wine operation. So we use a custom cross facility Okay, and we contracts with the vineyards that we, that, that, we use, um, it gives us some flexibility, um, and it, it allows us to, to get into winemaking without, without having to have the large capital outlay. Now, Rhonda and I, we you know we're not dot-com billionaires. We don't, you know, have you know, we're not... Bitcoin billionaires, we, you know, not trust fund babies, uh, it's, it's a husband and wife who sold an insurance policy, <laughs> took a long-term incentive payout, uh, and used that to get going uh, with our 2014 and 2015 vintages and par- about half of our 2016. And then since then, we've been funding it by taking a loan out against our retirement investments. That we we pay back as we as, as we, we sell wine. as we sell wine, mm-hmm. and and so for us doing it in a highly flexible, less leveraged way um, has has worked out beautifully. Um, and you know, it'd be nice to have a winery. It'd be nice to have a tasting room, uh, but but we haven't had we <laughs> haven't had an <laughs> issue selling wine. And, and the model that we came up with uh, goes back to the old days of Stony Hill, if you've ever had any of their Chardonnays. Back in the day, Stony Hill uh, didn't offer anything retail. They didn't offer anything in restaurants. You had to order off of their mailing list. And uh, and, and that's the only way you got their very limited production Chardonnays. Um, we were on the waiting list for three years before what? we... we on the mailing list. And the only reason we got on the mailing list is we went up there and talked to them. One time when we were in Napa, you know, we drove up Spring Mountain and, you know, had a nice little tour with the McCrays. And lo and behold, the next time we made it on the mailing list. And we stayed on the mailing list for, you know, a long, long time. So we looked at it and we said, okay, that has a certain amount of exclusivity. Um, and exclusivity um, can drive a lot of wine sales. You know, people like to acquire something they can't get.
0: Or other people can't get. Or, right. or, or the
2: other people can't mm-hmm. get. And, and, and they like that exclusivity of it. So we wanted to create a smaller brand that was very boutique. Um, and that was um, you know, really sold by word of mouth and just by us.
0: And up until COVID, we did a lot of wine tastings. And we like to say that we bring the wine tasting room experience to people. So in their homes, if they want to get friends together that are wine lovers. um, And we've been all over actually doing wine tastings. And we just talk about the wines and talk to potential customers. And we end up selling a crap ton of wine at all those events.
2: And getting a lot of wine club members. And
0: getting a lot of wine club members. And so we basically sell out without having to... Have a cap, you know, a capital expense, and you know, for us, it just makes more sense to do it that way. And our customers like it too. We've asked them a lot, like, what would you think if we were retail in retail or in restaurants? And I think to some people, they they feel like it would maybe diminish the brand.
1: And now, a word from our sponsor. Looking to be in the know about Jocina Wines. Want to be the first to know about our new releases and special offers? All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. There is no commitment necessary, and I promise you we won't spam your mailbox with loads of messages. Need another reason to sign up? Quite possibly the best reason? You'll immediately get a discount code for 10% off your first purchase and be privy to newsletter-only discounts. Let Dracaena Wines turn your moments into great memories. Visit our website, www.dracenawines.com, or use the link in show notes to sign up. It will take you less than a minute, but the rewards will last a lifetime. Now, how many you, I I don't know if we were on, on Mike, when you said you're at about 500 cases? Yep. Okay. So you're at about 500 cases. What were you that your 14 vintage your that was your first recovery what
2: uh, <laughs> a barrel of 2014 Howell mountain cabernet
1: okay. that
2: rated 90 points and won a gold medal at san francisco international when it's only been bottled for three months
1: very nice
0: and congratulations
2: 2016 savion block that was it
0: a barrel of each and we oh. and we sold out in like weeks three weeks <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's amazing what the what uh, uh you know the rating and a medal in the San Francisco Chronicle can can do for you. Um, yeah. so so you're growing. Um, you're at about five hundred cases now. And what we know, you do cab franc. And I'm sorry, it's been like forty minutes, and I haven't tasted your cab francs, and I'm dying to taste your cab franc. So the first one I want to talk about is a 2018. Cabernet Franc. So as I'm pouring this, this is from Stagecoach. So I've got a whole bunch of questions about that. Um, but so, oh, look at that color.
0: Also, I just wanted to say, even though we live in Austin, we do make our wine in Napa. We okay. get that question. <laughs> and yes. we're back. Yeah.
1: So let, let's
0: go there before I actually
1: taste. Where actually in Napa are you making your wine? You said a crush in facility. Napa. In-, uh,
2: in a little industrial park. Um, they make wine for Dwayne Wade. They've made some of Crop Brothers wines. Uh, uh, there's a lot of notable wine brands that are made there. Uh, Modus okay. Operandi is made there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a nice facility where they're able to offer services to be a little bit more bespoke for wine brands like ours. Okay,
1: And then you are the winemaker, Bruce? Do you have a consultant?
2: We meet with our consulting winemaker and we kind of carve out our style. Mm-hmm. Uh, we carve out what we're looking from for each each vineyard. Uh, we do, you know, we, we taste the wines along the way and discuss barrel aging strategy, what we're looking for. Ron and I aren't big oak people. You won't buy one of our wines and be bludgeoned by a bunch of oak. Uh, so we're always trying to keep. That's a nice oak.
1: breath from Napa.
2: Yeah, we're trying to keep it, you know, in balance and more in the background. Um, So a lot of discussions about oak aging strategy. We like to keep our acidity a little bit higher. So we don't want to, you know, we don't want to pick it too high uh, on a bricks level and have it be an alcohol driven wine. We really want it to be kind of an old world meets Napa sort of style. We recognize that we're working with California fruit and Napa fruit, but we want it to be more expressive of an old world wine. Um, And then Ron and I do all the blending. And so we're able to blend to our palettes, but recognizing that our palate may not be uh, exactly tuned into what the, the, the current wine consumer wants. So we try and straddle the fence on that between okay. what we're really looking for versus what, what sells, because at the end of the day, you have to sell wine.
1: Right, absolutely. So now this is a two thousand eighteen Cabernet Franc from Stagecoach. So when did you harvest? If you don't know the the exact date, but like early, late October, November, like
2: it was in October, and you know, I can I can go on the website and look. Um, and um, the, the interesting chat. the interesting thing about the twenty eighteen is the twenty eighteen Is the first vintage that we release that is predominantly its base varietal. Uh, It's not uncommon for us to um, to be at ninety to ninety two to ninety three percent on the base varietal. Sometimes we've been eighty eight, and then we're blending back in to to the wine. You know, if it's a Cal Franc, we're blending back in Petite Verdot, uh, maybe a little Malbec, maybe a little Cab to build it up, maybe a little. Um, um, Merlot. But 2018 was was a near perfect vintage. And so we found for our palette the wines were um, exceptional in barrel. So we really kind of scaled back how we blended the 2018s and, and from top to bottom or across all of our portfolio. It's the first vintage we released that, that is is predominantly the base varietal. So this was harvested on October 5th. Oh okay, 25.9. It's not uncommon for stagecoach. This comes from the Pritchard Hill side of stagecoach. So at about 1400 feet. Um, and it only spent 22 months in barrel and it's kind of a mixture of, um, of, of new and used, you used. know, one two turn French oak. Um, I
1: can, I can get the French oak on the nose, but it hmm. is not, it is not. And I don't mean to be mean, it's not Napa oak, you know, like, (laughs) right, you know, um, you can definitely, you can definitely know that there's new French oak on here. Um, What I really like is one of the things I love about um, Cab Franc is graphite. Like when I get graphite in Cab Franc, I, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very happy camper. And that is, that's, that is there also. And it is on the dark, the dark fruit flavor uh, side right. of it.
0: Right. Cool.
2: And and this is this is 99.25% cow franc. through See, there's,
1: five. there's the chemist. There's the chemist, right down
2: to 0. 0.25. <laughs> it's uh, 0.5 uh, uh petit fordeaux and oh. and a quarter of a percent of
0: uh
2: um, wow. So the Merlot to add to, to kind of build out the mid palate a little bit and the pradip Furdeaux to, to push it to right. the back palate. So you'll find that Ron and I, when we when we're blending a wine, we're looking f- to, to build up the entry of a wine. We want that entry to be present. Uh, we want it to get to your mid-palate and be expansive and have texture and weight. And then we want it to go to the back palate because not, you know, I can't tell you how many high end cabs I've purchased that have a ton of oak in them, high alcohol. You try it. It comes in nice. It gets to your mid palate, and then it just goes away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're like, well, where was the rest of the experience? That's like right. watching half a movie, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like getting through, you know, most of the seasons of Yellowstone and then not the last two seasons of Yellowstone. <laughs> you, know, you, you feel cheated by that experience, right? right. So for us, building up that mid-palette to having it transition to the back palette is a lot of what we do in blending. And so to do that, we achieve it with in the Cab Franc case, Petit Verdeau and and um, and Merlot.
1: I find Petit Verdeau is a very nice complement to Cab Franc. They, it is. they they play very nicely together. And they when done in the right percentages in the right relationship, um, it's a it's a wonderful marriage between the two of them. It us. is.
2: And in this particular uh does come from Stagecoach. Okay. So
1: And now, now what what is your I, I'm gonna know your answer by by the wine itself, or I think I do, your thought process of pyrazine in Cab Franc. Um
2: we love chenuns. Uh, we love Loire Valley um, cow I don't mind in that rudder fruit spectrum, a little pirazine. Um, uh, what I'm looking for, what we like uh, with cow is if we can get a touch of herbaceousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, you know, getting that little herbaceousness in the cow uh, it's it's really what I'm looking for. If it's a pure, clean expression of fruit without that herbaceousness, um, I'm I'm at least on the aromatics left a little lacking. I I I, I don't mind the pyrazines in a redder fruit cab franc and in most cab francs I, I want just that touch of kind of floral herbaceousness.
1: I um, I think you need herbaceousness to to be a cab franc. I think that the people. Right. The people who love Cab Franc expect that her that bit of herbaceousness in there. Um, mm-hmm. People who don't know Cab Franc don't know the difference, and it can be a great Cab Franc with no herbaceousness, no, you know, whatever. Um, right. But if I, th- I think if you're blind tasting, you know, as a sauna, as a wine expert, y- it's very difficult to call it a Cab Franc if you're missing that that herbaceousness. I think it's part right. of 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 the profile of of a cab franc. So yeah.
2: so, so our 2017 cab franc um was um rated well above, you know, 90 points. I think it was 92 or 93. It won a gold medal at San Francisco International. Uh the 2018 was rated 93. Um the wine reviewer said it was the best cab franc he had had in 12 months of tasting cab Wow. Um and sent me a kind of a side note and told me that. Um, so that was nice, and 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 it's it's truly an exceptional you know exceptional wine. The 2019 um, uh, we bottled. Uh, 2019 is kind of back to to being a little bit more blended than the 2018, um, and that that's just you know 2019s. We kind of found across the board. Uh, didn't have that round opulence of the 18s out of Napa. Uh, so, for example, um, it's 93.75 cap franc, okay.
1: you know,
2: a little bit over 2% of PV, 1.3% of Mallback, actually. Okay. And then uh, 0.75 um, um, caps off. Okay.
1: So, um, but so still. The Malbec, you, I can see where the Malbec's gonna give a little bit of that spice, a little bit of, you know, the, a little bit more of a, the spice and, and a little body zing. I don't know how exactly yeah, that is. But, but, you know, and without overpowering.
2: Fullness and, and texture in the mid palate.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and, and the difference between Merlot and Malbec in the mid palate, you find that Merlot kind of influences the beginning of that mid palette to to like just past the center of that mid palette. And then you find that that Malbec in the blending process kind of picks up that middle of the mid palette toward the back end of the mid palette with nice weight and texture. So we find in a lot of cases that uh, Malbec makes a very good transition to where the Petit Verdot picks up. And so that's that's you know if, if the wine needs that little push back toward the petite for dough that's what we'll do.
1: Yeah. That's 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 a perfect explanation because that's really you want like you said you want it to come in and you want to have, you know you don't want a roller coaster you don't want yeah oh nothing right you yeah. want you want it to be you know exciting but you want it to kind of carry itself through the entire the entire palate. Now, going back to Stagecoach, I have to ask, like, did you have a little coronary when it was purchased by e j Gallo? You, is there an issue um, with potentially losing your fruit?
2: No, no. Um, we were able to, you know, protect our sources by, you know, where we make our wine, um, kind of leveraging some of their um, contacts. So that's okay. been good. Um, we don't we don't run a risk of losing that that source. And we like being over in the Pritchard Hillside in the block that we're getting. Um, you know, if if Jan Krupp owned it, and and and, and we've we've you know talked with Jan and, 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 and you know, we've heard his story on Stagecoach, which is just remarkable the number of boulders they moved out of there. I mean, the tons and tons and tons of boulders as they were developing the vineyard. Um, you know, if they own it or if Gallo owns it, it's, it's still stagecoach fruit and it has right. that stagecoach uniqueness to it. And there's something about stagecoach wines. Every time I pour them into class, and I can't tell you why, from, from Sequoia Grove Syrah to someone else's Cab to someone else's Cab Franc, you put your nose in there and you go, yeah, that's stagecoach. Mm-hmm. It just has a signature.
1: Yep. Well, that's terror right there, right? I mean, yeah. I I think one of the things that I'm very prone to you know is Rutherford dust. Like mm-hmm. when you stick your nose in a rutherford, you know, whatever, there is there is that Rutherford dust. And that is what makes it Rutherford, you know. Um, I I remember I was at a tasting and it was a, a Mediterranean wine. It was, you know, I was in New York City, it was Mediterranean. Um, and I I put my note the the psalm was from the person who was doing the master class was from um from Napa area. Mm -hmm. And uh I put this wine up to my nose and I'm like, this is like Rutherford Dusk esque. And he started laughing because he was the only I was the only other person in the room that could understand Rutherford Dusk. Everybody else was was not, you know, um and he's like I know, I know. I try to explain that to the people, but they're in you know, Mediterranean, you know, Mideast somewhere and they don't understand what Rutherford dust is. Um, but yeah, I agree. Stagecoach is, it, it's a historic site. It's, and yeah. you know, these sites don't get to be that way to be infamous just because they have a cool name. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there's a reason behind it, but. Um, no, you
2: know, we, speaking of Rutherford, we produced two caps from Rutherford. Okay. We, we produced one from uh, Bexso for Georgia's third.
1: All uh, right.
2: We don't have access to the Vexo for Georgia store third name. We didn't sign that contract. So we, we call it Heritage Reserve. We'll refer to it as G3. The story is told in the back. Other wineries do that. Kirk Vanier does it at mm-hmm. Ashes and says it where they call it something else. Like Ashes right. and Diamond, Vineyard One, because it was Vineyard One for BV. Um, uh, that produces, you know, kind of that classic, opulent, nice um, uh, um, cab from Rutherford. We use another Beck-Silver Vineyard called Melrose, which is up off okay. of zinfandel So it's right at the junction of Rutherford and St. Helena. Okay. Um, and it's separated from Georgia's third by about two and a half miles, but it's a little different. It's a little redder in its fruit, which you wouldn't expect um, being two and a half miles further north. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it... it, it Um, has a little bit higher acidity profile, which, which kind of goes along with the redder fruit, but you also get a little bit more grippy tannin with it than you do from from Georgia's third. And, um, we looked at that as being like classic Napa cab, you know, classic Valley floor Napa cab, and just really nice. Now, surprisingly, the first year that we made the Bexto for Melrose, which was 2018, um, yeah, 2018. <laughs> I have to think about what year I'm playing. Um, that, uh, that was scored 97 points.
1: Wow. Uh, Coley, Cosmoley.
2: And Kasmoley. it won a double gold at San Francisco International.
1: Wow. Um, Congratulations.
2: So, yeah. So, so um, I mean, that surprised us. But, um, you know, it actually scored higher than the, the Georgia's third did. And I think a lot of that's because the acidity is a little brighter. And and the, the the tannins just slightly grippier, um, which which and at least when I taste that, when we taste it in our head, we go, okay, that's classic Napa, okay. classic rudder.
1: Um, So just sidebar, not really your widery or whatever, but isn't that email that you get <laughs> when you know your your score is in that email? Isn't that the most you know like insane, nerve wracking? push the button to open email ever (laughs) or is it just
0: me is it just me I don't know well we we... it is exciting and this time around I was down in my office we work at home I was in my office he was upstairs in his office and I heard him saying some words from the other no we're my my parents that
2: was last year when our Chardonnay won a double gold and was rated 97 which we stopped making Chardonnay by the way
0: Oh, uh, so my you get a 97, dead.
1: and you stop making it. Well, <laughs> well we Chardonnay's already hard made sell. that decision before we got the. the yeah, well, hard that's sell.
2: true. Ron Bar has done a great job at creating a, a market, but has done a, a, a horrible job at creating market fatigue. And um, you know, a lot of people don't want that big, buttery, oaky Chardonnay. Right. So we right. made one we- that that was <laughs> partial mallow.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, it didn't see any new French oak. It was one turn and two turn French oak. Um, it came from uh, from Rogers Creek, which is used by Landmark and Ramey and a couple, you know, some, some other people. Very notable vineyard, um, and it produced wines with nice acidity. So we were able to preserve some of that acidity, and it really drank more like white Burgundy than it did a California Cabernet. I mean, a uh, Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Um, and but yet still, with that and with the '97 and with the double gold, so many people would say, "I don't drink Chardonnay anymore. Don't pour me." Anymore. ABC.
1: Wanna- the ABC crew. <laughs> Yeah.
2: So you know, the effort to sell a a, a bottle of highly rated Chardonnay, uh, which is just a spectacular wine, versus this Cal Franc, it was easier to sell the Cal Franc than the Chardonnay. So you've got to go where where you know your time right. investment,
0: particularly right. when it's your own. But it was so good.
2: Yeah. So we were actually having a dinner party when that email showed up, and uh, uh, there was two couples and us, and we had already been through like two bottles, maybe three bottles of wine throughout the course of the evening. And the email showed up and I'm like, can can I swear on this? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: I was like, holy shit. You know, I told the whole table, holy shit, we just got a 97. We just got a gold medal, double gold. This
0: is me. uh,
2: Rick, Rick and Heather.
0: Oh, and, my
2: parents. And, 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 and we're like, go get a bottle, open it up, let's try it. And we just, we just had to try it. You know. That's
1: that yeah it's incredible but it, I every time I get the email from like wine enthusiasts I see wine enthusiast has rated your wine. I'm always like you know like you know uh-huh. and then I'm like woohoo you know whatever um, And then you know the same thing the San Francisco Chronicle came out on Friday and you know I'm sitting there refresh nope, no great no scores yet. <laughs> refresh, no scores yeah. oh oh my god scores are there. And then you go yeah. and you know, it, I don't know. It's it's so nerve wracking, and then it's so exhilarating. Thankfully, exhilarating. Um, but, 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 I, but I just don't know if that's me or everybody like sees that. No, it's, it is. It is. But 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 here's the, here's
2: the thing. It, it's it's cool. We we don't send wine to the wine enthusiasts anymore because okay. uh, because we think that. Over the 20 years or so that this big, huge, oaky, highly extracted style has been made, that that's kind of geared a lot of people's palate to that. And that's what they look for. Okay, Our wines have a little bit more elegance to them, a little bit more old world style with new world fruit. And so we, we find that that style uh, isn't conducive to, um, to what some wine reviewers are looking for. So, so you have to find a wine reviewer that appreciates your style um, because not everyone does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we end up using a wine reviewer who does a lot of work for Decanter and a couple of other publications who tastes wines from Washington and Oregon and California and has a much more balanced palette um, where they're able to appreciate wines with a little bit more subtlety and finesse versus you know, that huge sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and and that's why we like San Francisco International. It's a very international sort of um, group that judges and they have a, a wide spectrum of what they're looking for in a
0: wine. And that's the only competition we enter. It's, it's the only okay. one we only The San Francisco International. Um, we, did, we did send our rosé to the wine enthusiast once. We got a and we got a 91. So oh, that's rose. actually,
1: for a rosé, yeah. that's yeah. actually really good. Um, but that does that is a very big... Topic. And I had another podcast. Um, I do this thing called Wine Writers Wrap Up, where I get yeah. writers who come together and we talk about a topic. And that was one of the topics is, uh, you know, wineries, you know, how much does it matter what that score is in the world? And how much does it matter that you get gold medals or silver medals? Or, you know, are people going to buy that wine or not buy that wine solely because of a score? And then is that score, does the winery or the winemaker, and sadly, there are people who I know who have out and out said, well, I make wine for that wine score. Well, you know, and I'm not saying that's a wrong way to go. You know, you got to get 95s and 96s all over the place. And there are people who are only going to buy, who are going to find you because you have that 95 and 96 but is that the right way to make wine? I like how you say it. it's your palate you, and you, you kind of blend that fence of you're making a wine that you enjoy to drink. You realize that everybody doesn't have your palate. So you're not going all the way to them, but you're not going all the way to you and you're straddling that fence. And I think that's a perfect way to make a wine you're, you know, to enjoy for the masses.
0: Well, and the other thing too, is when we were able to have wine tastings and we would talk to people about, this is this is our style and this is why. And when you have other wines, this is, you know, from Napa, this might be how you experience it. And this is how ours is different. And then you could see the light bulb go off. And then you realize they're like, wow, I, we really like this. And we like the back palate. And we like that it's not over-oaked and it's not bludge." us over the head you know and then right. and then we'll hear from them after the fact and say thanks a lot I could never like wine just doesn't taste the same anymore <laughs> now, all I, now all I get is that over oak and no back finish and dang it I wish I had some of your wine instead
2: we've gotten text messages from people in Napa you know they, they, they've been to one of our, our more personalized wine tasting and then they go to Napa and they're like we wish we had your wine <laughs> because all we're tasting are wines that have no finish
1: yeah or too much, too oak. much oh. right
2: and, and so you know we don't want to make for that crowd that that expects oak and high alcohol we really want to make something that's that's really balanced and that has you know the structure and the ability to age
1: um, well i will say this 2018 stagecoach Capron is beautiful it, yeah. it, it really is it is extremely balanced. There is acid there. There is the um, there is dark fruit, but what's interesting is now I did open it a little bit early um, Mm -hmm. earlier than we got on, but I didn't pour it. So we all know what the the oxygen thing, we're not going to go into that, but I just poured a second glass. So it had a little bit more oxygen to it and there's much more fruit coming out of it now than, than that first glass um and it you know that little bit of oxygen has brought that up and it's still it's still dark fruit but my first glass was more like um a black cherry a blackberry that thing i'm now getting plum i'm getting you know i'm still getting the black cherry uh but now there's that plum and the talk about front mid or end palate it is it is right on the end of the mid palate to the finish is where that plum comes in. So it's right. almost like where the the black cherry wrong word, but dies off like falls off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The plum comes in to carry it to the finish. So mm-hmm. whatever, whatever you're doing, keep doing because it's it's really is beautiful. Um, oh, thank you. it's wonderful. Um, but I do want to talk about because we are coming up to an hour and I don't want to I I don't want to miss this. So you do cab franc. Is, is that what you would say is your specialty? No, well... Cab uh, Um
0: we make, cap, we make two cabs. Okay, right. A, that's Merlot-based. We make a Cab Franc.
2: And we make a Savion Blanc.
0: And a Savion Blanc. Okay. And,
2: and we make a Rosé that's Tempranillo and Medvedro-based. Oh,
0: and okay. we are doing a special project. Um, we're making a Zinfandel from... From
2: um, uh, Monterosso. From
0: Monterosso. Oh. We're going
2: back to our route to make roots and making Zinfandel. First time since yeah, 1998.
0: Uh, well, I
1: would love to try that because I'm a Zin girl. Um, but let, let's talk about this cuvee. Okay, mm-hmm. so Rhonda, you said it was Merlot based. It's
0: Merlot based, yes. Okay. And, and we didn't want to call it Merlot because yes, smart because thinking. And so and so and so we um, we made it as a special project um, for an art gallery who wanted to serve wine to their high-end uh, art clients. And so we ended up making this wine for them. And, um, and then people really liked it. And We found that when we sold, this was the third wine that we made. And so we originally had the Sauvignon Blanc, the cab, and then the Merlot-based cuvee. And, and we found that people really liked it and it kind of sold one-to-one with our cab. And I love it because I'm a steak girl. Okay. And um, I just love it with steak. I just think it smells great and it's really yummy.
2: So to so- answer your question a couple of ways, uh, Rhonda's favorite wine that we produce is, is the Cuvée. <laughs> My favorite wine that we produce is the Cal Franc.
1: Okay.
2: We weren't huge cab drinkers. So when we got back into making wine, we wanted to make Zinfandel. And this winery consultant that we're working with said, go to your, you know, go to a high-end, store that sells a lot of wine, good turnover. Pick a a cab and the price point you want to be in, go three bottles back, put a pencil mark on the back of that label. Do the same thing with the Zinfandel and put a pencil mark three bottles back and then go back every week and see what's moved. I'll guarantee within the first two weeks that cab will have been sold and you'll probably be coming back for six months waiting for that Zinfandel to be sold. Mm -hmm. So we went... Holy crap. We Guess
0: got, we're making calves.
2: We're making cab. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, Once again, it's our money. It's our
0: money. And so wine. we had to
2: taste a lot of calves and we had to drink a lot of calves to get kind of calibrated back to what people were doing with calves, because we were drinking, you know, Riojas and Burgundies and uh Rome wines and everything else but cow. Yeah. So so we're not big cab drinkers, even though we make two, and one scored 97 points. Um Um, so she goes for the Cuvée, I go for the Cab Franc, and, um, those are our two favorite wines.
1: And what is your largest production wine? Cab. Cab. Okay. All right. So let's, let's get back to this Cuvée because it says Cuvée
0: number four, four grape varieties? No. (laughs) Every, Every, every year we change, um, with every, with every vintage, we change the number. Oh, so. okay.
2: So this is your fourth vintage. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so this is 93% Merlot. Okay. 3% Petit Verdot. Uh 2.25 Caps off. uh 0.75 cap Franc to pretty up the aromatics in the entry. Uh, and 0.5% Malbec to help with that okay. mid to mid back transition. Um so we, you know, it's, it's, it's basically 93% Merlot, but it's a hillside vineyard. It, it's Bill Hill's Broken Rock Vineyard about 800 to 1200 feet up on, on, on the flanks of Atlas Peak. So you get mm-hmm. a little valley floor influence. You get a little, little Atlas Peak influence with nice hillside structure. It drinks more like a baby cab. There's, there's great uh, darker fruits. There's graphite, there's cocoa. It is truly a a phenomenal wine. Um, uh, It's our entry wine, where it's priced. Um, We want people to buy it, entry red, buy it, enjoy it. Um, But it is, it is within itself, uh, you know, really drinks more like a right bank wine than a left bank wine, and that's what we're going
1: for. Perfect, perfect. So, without a tasting room, how can people? find your wines to taste? How, how can they get your wine?
2: Well, there's a couple of things that we can do. Um, we've now become acclimated to holding Zoom tastings. Uh, so we sell people our wine slightly over our cost. Uh, and then we go through a tasting with them. Uh, okay. That way they can get a bottle and, and we can you know, go through a tasting as we would if it was a private tasting in person. Um,
1: and that's like through a Zoom.
2: Through Zoom, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. And,
2: and, and you know, in this age of COVID, it seems to be virtual
1: the- tastings are all the all the rage. Yep.
2: Um, we, you know, when, when COVID dies down a little bit, we'll get back to in person tastings, and those are more like you know a Mary Kay event or an or an Avon event, where you know we kind of come <laughs> to you <laughs> and we Top bring red. the wine, and we coterie, and, and and it gives us a chance to. Interact more with people. And, you know, we've all been to those tasting rooms where the guys, you know, our woman's pouring and they go, our winemaker really likes this. Then thinks it's exceptional. Here's the wine. Hope you enjoy it. And they walk away and you're left there with a ton of questions, mm-hmm. but we're able to tell everybody all the information. Why do we make the decision?
1: Because it's your wine.
2: <laughs> decision to blend this way. Why did we add 3% of petite for dough? Why do we only use medium toast Oak? Um, you know, we're able to walk through all of that with people. So they, 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 they get the full story. Um, and it creates a great experience. Um, I think one other thing to say, and, and, and at the chagrin of this, winery, of this wine consultant that we use, we are constantly told, we've been told this since our inception, that we need to increase our prices. Uh, but we refuse to. And so our wines are priced um, for Napa very reasonable. Um, you know, the spec for George's third is $95 a bottle. Uh, it should be 125 Um, and then we offer our wine club members a 20% discount. So they get it for okay. 76 Our Howell Mountain cab, which we just released a 2019 Howell Mountain, which Ooh. is just beautiful.
1: I love Howell Mountain
2: all day long. Um uh this comes from a former vineyard source of Catherine Hall in Howell Mountain. Um, and, and we're sourcing from there. Uh, that's $100. You know, it should be 125
0: to $150. Um, How much is our Cap Franc?
2: is 68 Wow. Uh, okay. And, uh, and, we you know, for wine club members, there's a 20% discount. And, and our whole philosophy is we want you to experience the wine. Wine's expensive to begin with.
0: And we want to sell wine. <laughs> to sell, but, I'm the voice of reason. But, but we
2: <laughs> want the difference of a great wine in the, being the price, and I don't want to pay that we we want you to buy a really well crafted really made wine from, from exceptional vineyards um, yeah you know, and be
0: able to experience that
2: be able to experience it at a you know a reasonable price mm-hmm. and um, so that's what we do
0: so
1: some, the, i just want to say if somebody is somebody who's listening wants to try their wines they can just order from your website or then are we are need you? Them.
0: Okay. yeah you can go to our website prothrowfamilywines.com and um, a good way to remember our our last name is uh, Pro throw like a pro throws a ball without the W. That's the only way I can remember his name, his last name. <laughs> Even though he passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and then um, yes, and then Bruce's email address is on there, and. Um, he, just, always, he always responds. It's well, just
2: Bruce at Prother Family Wines, so okay. you know.
0: I did Bruce. see on the website it says
1: email Bruce, email Rhonda, right? Yeah, down email on the bottom. Bru- email Bruce.
2: Bruce. <laughs> yeah, but, but just just you know, email me and express an interest and um, create a profile on the website and and um, you know we give most everyone some sort of
1: discount if it's not okay. the wine club
2: discount and, um, and and then we just go from there.
1: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on. I had a blast. Your wine is fantastic. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, My husband is going to be a little upset because he's expecting wine when he comes home, but it's two hours before he comes home. So he's not going to have very much of this Cab Franc left. (laughs) Um, But I am making flatbread pizza for dinner. So question one is, is going to be, and I see if you go with my brain, one is going to be, um, just normal pizza with Roma tomatoes and all that. And the other one is going to be fig and arugula pizza. Now, which one, if either or none, do you think is a better pairing
2: well, the bitterness from the arugula is going to create a challenge for any in any red wine, right? Unless it's a little bit higher in, 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 in alcohol, like a Chianti. Uh, I mean, a little bit higher in acidity uh, and, and brighter fruit. But I would actually go with the cuvee.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. There's a lot in that cuvee. Okay. And their,
2: um, uh, you know, the the cuvee it drinks it drinks beautifully. It's just a wonderful wine in this twenty eighteen was rated um 91 and um i think there's enough there to complement both types of, of flatbread pizzas and, right. and it'll go wonderful with the fix absolutely yeah.
1: wonderful we wish we could be right there i'm, <laughs> d- I'm not gonna lie this fig arugula pizza that i make uh, it's i made it once and he was like this is a staple you're making this all the time um so throw
2: really some prosciutto good. on there.
1: Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I that might, was wonderful. if there's time to run out, I might go, I might go do that. But um, I just got the shaved parmesan um and perfect. the arugula and fig. So yes, that'd be yeah. perfect. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. The thank wine you. is spectacular. Um, and and as much like this, I don't want to sell this. I am the cab franc maniac, so it, it's like an additional little pat on the back when. <laughs> when, well, when, you, when I princess. really, I really do your... love it.
2: Yeah, we do need to try. it. Yeah, absolutely,
1: to. absolutely. Well, you know what? Maybe when you're back in California for a visit or whatever, we will do a get together and a and a bottle share, and uh, you know, we'll hopefully be way past COVID and <laughs> although fully fully vaccinated and boosted so we're good but um, yeah I would love to you both are wonderful and uh, even before we got on I was having a blast talking to you too so uh, I would love to meet you in real life. It would be great. Uh, But Thank you very much and I wish you the best and I saved a little swig for me to say (laughs) sláinte. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, that was no brand, that
2: was no martini, Irish